Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to be looking at chapter 34. This short chapter concludes the book of Deuteronomy, but it also concludes um, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes we call it the Pentateuch. Uh, These um, are the books that tell the story that begins with the creation of the world and ends with the Israelites getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And so uh, so, uh, this morning's passage ends one chapter and begins another. It ends the story of Moses and begins the story of Joshua. Hear now the word of our Lord. When Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho, there the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region of the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials, and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. My great aunt Virginia took care of my great uncle Steve right up until he passed. She took good care of him. See, Uncle Steve had a heart condition. And my Aunt Virginia had a reputation for being kind of a taskmaster, so she would make sure in the morning Uncle Steve always had a bowl of oatmeal with raisins and a cup of grapefruit juice. Of course, Uncle Steve always complained, always said he'd rather have gravy and biscuits, but he did what he was told. Every morning he ate the oatmeal with the raisins and drank the grapefruit juice, and then he would go on his morning walk. Now, Due to her efforts, Uncle Steve probably lived several years longer than he would have if he was left to his own devices. 
but he finally passed. And at the funeral, Aunt Virginia was shaking hands with people, and she was looking around the receiving line, and she saw a bunch of people she didn't recognize, people in their 30s and 40s, some even younger. She was curious about who these people were that she had never seen a day in her life. Finally, one of them came up through the receiving line. It was a young lady, and Aunt Virginia was shaking her hand, and she said to the lady, How do you know Steve? And the young lady said, Well, a bunch of us came this morning from the local McDonald's. Steve was a fixture there. He walked there every morning, and he'd always get the same thing, gravy and biscuits and a large Coke. The place won't be the same without him. You can learn a lot about someone based on who shows up at their funeral, can't you? The kind of life they lived who they impacted, who they loved. See, this morning's passage describes Moses' burial and funeral. And we learn a lot about the kind of man he was just from who was there. There was only one guest at the burial, God. Our passage this morning comes at the very end of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The story that began with the man alone in the garden ends with the man alone on a mountain. See, the first man was formed from the dust by God's own hand. He was given life by God's own breath. Now Moses has had his life taken by God's own breath, and he is buried in the dust by God's own hand. It's a remarkably intimate scene, isn't it? God personally burying his servant Moses. An ancient rabbi remarks on the fitting bookend, saying, Great is kindness, for the Torah begins and ends with an act of kindness. But God is not the only one who mourns Moses. Below, the whole Israelite nation mourns his passing. They mourn for 30 days. Now, 30 days was the traditional mourning time for great men and women, kings and the like. Was there anyone greater than Moses? The writers of the Torah didn't seem to think so. Listen to how the entire saga ends. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials, and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. See, the people who told Moses' story examined all the miracles, all the highs and lows, the triumphs and failures, and this was their verdict. Moses was the greatest prophet who ever lived, and we shall never see his like again. You can learn a lot about someone based on who comes to their funeral, can't you? God personally buried Moses because he was a servant. The book of Numbers tells us that Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. But a whole nation mourns him because he was a great leaguer who guided them from Egypt through the wilderness and to the border of the promised land. Now, 
those may seem like contradictory traits. To say a man was both humble and also a leaguer, both a servant and also great. But you and I know they aren't. The greatest leaguers are humble and serve others. They lead by example. There's a perfect word for people like that. We call them luminaries. I love that word, luminaries. A luminary is literally a beacon of light. It's a candle used to light a path in the dark. Moses was a luminary in every sense of the word. I mean, he wasn't just a luminary like in the abstract sense. I mean, if you wanted to, you could actually pick him up and use him as a flashlight because his face actually glowed in the dark. He was a living candle. Jim dug a coffee with the Bible on this a few weeks back. See, after Moses beholds God's glory, his face begins to shine. And his face shines so brightly that no one can look directly at him. The people are terrified. So he has to wear a veil. To see Moses' face was to see the glory of God reflected back. He was the moon to God's sun, a physical luminary, a living candle. But Moses was also a spiritual luminary. Even before wearing the veil, he was a beacon of light to the people. He showed them what it meant to be courageous when they were afraid at the Red Sea. He showed them what it meant to trust God's provision when they were starving in the wilderness. He showed them what it meant to be righteous when they had turned to idols. Moses' life lit the way for the people. By the way he lived, he was their light in the darkness. And now, that light was gone. It was snuffed out, and the people found themselves in the dark with no one to guide them. The people mourned because they lost a great leaguer that they loved, a leaguer that inspired them by a shining example, a leaguer who simply could not be replaced. See, the Israelites knew that there would never be a man like Moses again, and that they would all be poorer for his absence. They knew that without Moses' radiant face, their days would be dimmer. And without his fiery faith, their nights would be darker. They lost their luminary, their living candle. Can you imagine what that must have been like to have lost someone like Moses? Someone whose very face is a reminder of God's presence. A person you can just look at and see God's glory reflected back at you. Whose life is such a powerful example to you that as long as they're alive, you have direction. You know right from wrong. Can you imagine losing someone like that? A living candle who lights the path before you. A shining face. Can you imagine... I know you can. In fact, I'm willing to bet that as I described Moses, someone else came to mind for you. A luminary in your life whose light has since gone out. Perhaps a relative who made sure you were in church every Sunday. 
a friend who believed in you when no one else did and stood by you when everyone else turned away. Maybe a minister or a Sunday school teacher who taught you about Jesus and whose love for you was displayed in everything they did. Now, if you're young, most of your luminaries are still living. But the older we get, the darker our path has become as one by one these great men and women of faith have departed. I'd like to offer you a gift, one I hope makes you happy. In just a moment, I want to invite you to close your eyes and spend a minute in silence. And all I want you to do is to picture the faces of all the people who have lit the path before you. I want you to remember what those faces looked like. The wrinkles, the freckles, the way the hair parted. I want to invite you to thank God for the light their life gave you as you picture their radiant face. Let's close our eyes. Lord, thank you for the gift that you have given us. Thank you for the example that you have set for us and these lives that have shone before us and lit our path. Thank you this morning for these luminaries, these living candles. We thank you for the beautiful shining faces. Amen. Today is All Saints Day. See, this is a special time that the church sets aside for remembering the great men and women of faith who lit the way for us by their example. These shining faces that we call luminaries, but who the Bible refers to as saints. But I believe All Saints Day is about more than simply honoring and remembering the loved ones that have passed on. It's also about each of us answering the call ourselves to be living candles to others. Because we, too, are the saints. See, the New Testament refers to saints a lot. But in the New Testament, the word isn't used to describe someone dead who lived an otherworldly life and performed a bunch of miracles. Paul addresses his letters to all the saints. 
He doesn't use the word to refer to a special class of Christians whose lives are beyond reproach. Paul uses the word to refer to everybody in the church. A saint to Paul was anyone who was being made holy by their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, Christians. All of us. We are the saints. We who are being made a little holier each day. There's a story about a father who is taking his, his daughter to uh, early morning prayer service. They arrive early. They're in this big, beautiful church, and so they're walking around. The little girl is marveling at all the stained glass windows depicting the lives of different saints. The father points to one of the windows and says to her daughter, That one right there is St. Francis. Do you know what a saint is? The little girl thinks for a second. She looks up at the window, and it's glittering brightly. It's illuminated by the sun. So she finds her answer. Yes, Daddy, I think so. A saint is someone the light shines through. Someone the light shines through. All of us are called to be saints luminaries, living candles, people the light of Christ shines through. See, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine for others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When Jesus said that, he wasn't talking to uh, an inner group of elite super disciples. He was speaking to a whole crowd of people who had gathered on a mountain to hear his words. And this morning, he's speaking to us. All of us are called to be living candles to others. All of us are called to be saints. Whoa, <laughs> hold up, Pastor. I think I know where you're going with this. That sounds pretty and all, but I'm no saint. I'm no living candle. I'm stumbling in the dark out here. You're looking for someone else the light shines through. This is what I imagine you saying. What you're actually going to say is, good sermon, preacher. And then you're going to go about your life knowing these words were meant for someone else. But they're not. These words are for you. You are called to let your light shine. What if we feel like we've got no light to shine? Listen, I get it. I have teenagers, and I've only recently accepted the fact that I'm an adult. I've been a pastor for three and a half years, if you count 2020 as a year, and I have no formal training in what the heck I'm supposed to be doing here. I'm waiting for you guys to figure out that I'm making this up as I go along. I understand inadequacy. Inadequacy is my home turf. But the fact remains... Jesus is calling you to let your light shine this morning, so he must believe that you've got some light to shine. I think a lot of us compare ourselves unfavorably to those who have come before. Like the people that said there will never be another prophet in Israel like Moses. We say there will, be there will never be another Sunday school teacher like fill in the blank. Too often we look backwards at the heroes of faith that built our church and we say, 
that's not me. I can't live up to that. But we romanticize them. We forget that they were real people with real thoughts and struggles. They weren't born great leaders. They grew into it. They made mistakes and learned from them. The light that they shined was not the light of perfection, but the light of genuine love for God. And they shined so brightly because God was shining through them. Now they're gone. And it falls on us to shine in their absence. All of us. See, someone lit the path before us, and now it is up to us to light a path for those behind us. There is no one else. We are the luminaries. We are the living candles. We are the saints. The thing that we too easily forget is that we are not alone. God does not simply leave us to our own devices to light the way for others. He gives us his Holy Spirit. In our passage this morning, Moses lays hands on a scared teenager named Joshua. Joshua felt unready and ill-prepared for his moment of leadership. But then we're told that he was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Next week, we'll begin a new book of the Bible that tells us how Joshua rose up in strength and courage and led the people into the promised land. Moses could rest on the mountain because he knew that Joshua was down in the valley, ready to light the way forward for the people. There wasn't another Moses, but there was a Joshua. There was a bunch of scared teenagers huddled together in the upper room. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed. See, the rabbi told them the sad news that he was leaving them, and they were frightened. They didn't know what they would do without their living candle. Jesus, the true light of the world. But Jesus told them, I will not leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. And Jesus was true to his promise. Those scared disciples remained in the upper room until the Feast of Pentecost. Then the Holy Spirit descended upon them in power, and the church was born. There wasn't another Jesus, but there was a Peter a James and a John. And today, there may not be another Miss Juanita or Uncle Joe or, or whoever came before, but there is you. Richard J. Foster opens his beautiful book, The Celebration of Discipline, with the story of a young frustrated disciple who, who's frustrated with his lack of spiritual progress. So he seeks advice from his older mentor. He says, Father, according as I am able, I keep my little rule, my little fast, and my little prayer. And according as I am able, I strive to cleanse my mind of all evil thoughts and my heart of all evil intents. Now what more should I do? Abba Joseph rose up and stretched out his hands to heaven, and his fingers became like 
ten lamps of fire. He answered, Why not be totally changed into fire? Why not, church? Why not be totally changed into fire? The same spirit that was available to Joshua and to Peter is available to us. Why not be lit up from within, made into a living candle? We are not alone because God's Spirit is with us and its power is available to us. And we are not alone because we are surrounded by a thousand living candles who pierce our dark night like spiritual stars. For those we buried are not gone. More than their memories are with us, their souls are watching over us, and the light of their example still guides us. Their candle has not been snuffed out. A far better preacher than me, whose name is lost to history, wrote a stirring sermon about this very thing. This sermon is preserved for us in the pages of the Bible. We call it the book of Hebrews. Now, the climax of the book of Hebrews is chapter 11. It's often called the faith chapter. The preacher begins by saying, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is what the ancients were commended for. Then he begins talking about the great heroes of Genesis. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, and how they accomplished all the things God called them to by faith. Then he talks about Moses and how Moses did all the things he did by faith. Then he talks about the other great heroes of the Bible, all along reminding us that they too acted by faith. Then this great preacher rounds the corner full of fire. He, he, he's got the congregation with them and he proclaims, these all were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us that only together with us could they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, the preacher of, of Hebrews is reminding the people of his generation and ours that everyone who came before was operating by faith, that they were finding their way in the dark, hoping and trusting that they were doing the right thing. They were just as unsure as we are, but they made they lit the way. And now they are watching us and cheering us on as we run our own race. We are surrounded by, by, by a stand filled with thousands upon thousands of saints, luminaries, living candles. We are not alone. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes one more time. Close your eyes. Imagine. Here you are. It's night. 
you're holding a torch, you're running, you race, you're sweaty, tired, your heart is pounding, you're out of breath, you look ahead and the finish line looks so far away. You know Jesus is waiting for you there, but you can't make him out yet. You're ready to give up. Suddenly, you hear a crowd of people cheering you on and calling out your name. You look up and see thousands of shining faces glowing, lighting the night up like stars. Whose faces are they? There's the great heroes of the Bible. Can you see them? Men and women you learned about in Sunday school. But also there's thousands of people you don't recognize. People from every race, tribe, and nation. Every walk of life. Because you scan the crowd. You lock eyes with that face. Remember the one from earlier? The person who lit the way for you while they were alive? See that face. Look at that smile. They're radiating warmth and light. Now look. They're pointing behind you. So you look back and you see the faces of all the people who are counting on you right now to light the way for them. Those people that are just starting their own races. What are their names? What do their faces look like? What words of encouragement are they shouting? Open your eyes. With so many counting on us, and with so many cheering us on, how do we dare give up? Why not, church? Why not be changed into fire? Why not be a luminary lighting the path behind you? a living candle, a blessed saint in the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
cardigan Fire in my heart again 